Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Three, two, one. You're listening to Field Day with Katie Black. Is that is that is that good? everybody welcome to field day with katie black i'm honored today i have with me jim zoki i do sports i do sports i do this show with you can you hear me (laughs) yes 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 well first of all i know you've been in sports broadcasting for a long time and i always ask people regardless of their occupation like how did that come about uh, I do the Panthers broadcast. I do uh, East Carolina play-by-play, work at WBT Radio. And for me, when I went to uh, college up in Ohio at Bowling Green State University, I went to the college TV station the first day. And long story short, I wanted to be on air, but they said, you know, your first year, you'll probably have to do stuff behind the scenes. And the second year, you'll probably have to do stuff behind the scenes. And it'll be at least your third year before you're ever on camera. So I was like, oh, depressing. So I left. I went down to the college radio station uh, the next day. Uh, my second day of school at Bowling Green, and I walked in at lunchtime, and there was a guy sitting up there who happened to be the radio sports director of uh, WBGU Radio, and same spiel. I said, hey, I'm a freshman. I'm Jim Zoki. I do sports, and I said, I uh, would love to get involved with you guys, and he uh, had me pull some wire copy, just read it. In. They recorded it, and he said, what are you doing today at 2.30? So that's how I got into radio, uh, was <laughs> doing uh, just that, getting in. Uh, radio was just so much easier than getting involved with TV at the beginning. So interesting. Well, I always ask people too, I know that you said that you're from Ohio. Were you born and raised in Ohio? I was just outside of Cleveland. So I uh, grew up in the cold and uh, with not very good sports teams, yet somehow managed to uh, love sports, even though my teams didn't really reward me very often growing up. Well, honestly, I'm same. Being here in Charlotte, I <laughs> the same kind of way. First off, was curious, how did you, did your job in radio take you down to Charlotte or how'd you find your way to Charlotte? So when I graduated, I was working, uh, when I graduated from college uh, from Bowling Green, I was working part-time at a radio station up in Toledo, Ohio. And my whole family lived in Ohio, but I wanted to live somewhere else. So um, I just looked at places where I thought I might want to live geographically and try to make it. So I moved down here and was doing some high school football for a little radio station in Concord. And then um, I saw a what ad in the newspaper for a traffic reporter. So it was actually in the creative loafing, uh, which is like the entertainment newspaper. And I, I applied for the job. They called me back like the next day and had me interview with them. And I'm not exaggerating when I say I paid less than $200 a week to do a split shift, sitting in an airplane doing traffic reports. I took it anyways. And uh, it opened a lot of doors for me. So I did that for a year and a half and it got me in with my, Radio station I still work at, WBT, uh, got in with uh, knowing the sports director at that time, Steve Martin, who was doing the Charlotte Hornet games, and uh, took me about a few months to get involved with doing some part-time sports there and filling in, and the Hornets were already here. There's like their second season of the Hornets' existence, so I got in on their broadcast doing pregame, halftime, and postgame, so uh, kind of a convoluted way of, I knew what I wanted to do. I had to kind of go around the back door of, of getting there, of working up in Concord and finding a want ad out of creative loafing to do traffic reporting. But it got me in the door to make contacts at places uh, like uh, WBT and with the Charlotte Hornets uh, back before the Panthers even existed. 
Wow. So yeah, my background is got a multimedia degree journalism and master's in media and communications. But when I graduated, the economy was... So I've kind of gone a weird path to kind of like circle back around. And before I say, I feel like I've looked at like all the things that you're doing. You're like kind of like a Ryan Seacrest. I keep busy. Yes. Like, um, like you said, the works with WBT radio and then also the voice of the Panthers from the beginning. And you're also the voice of East Carolina university football for the 2023 season. Mm-hmm. And was just wondering, I don't know if it's fair. Do you have like a favorite? Or are they all kind of equally exciting? They're all different. Uh, you know, I've worked at WBT and for the Panthers both for 29 years. Um, so I've done both those a long time. So that's, that's my established, uh, what I do. And the reason I'm doing East Carolina um, football only is because uh, it's four hours away to get to Greenville, North Carolina. I could do more. I'm actually going to do a little bit of their basketball this year, too. Um, but I can't do their coaches' shows on location and things like that. So uh, because of logistics, I would do more with East Carolina, but I can't really you know, make that happen. Uh, it creates some interesting travel challenges, uh, getting back from what is typically Saturday college football with East Carolina and Sunday Panther games. So it's, uh, I'll give you a recent example was uh, two weeks ago, I had a Saturday game in Greenville, North Carolina. They were at home, home opener against Marshall, but the game didn't kick off till six. So I didn't get out of there till like 10. And then I had to drive to Atlanta because there were no flights that late to get out of Greenville to be in Atlanta to do the Panthers Falcons game on Sunday. And we go on the air at 10 AM, even though the kickoffs at one. Uh, so I, Drove basically seven hours, got there at like 4.30 in the morning, slept till 7.30 in the morning and got up, did that game and then drove back from Atlanta to Charlotte four hours. So that was my weekend two weekends ago, but I enjoy it. Uh, But sometimes the travel doesn't work out as great. Not every weekend is that bad, but that was the worst one so far. Wow. Well, like I said, I just I have so many questions. I'm trying to like compound them all in order. But essentially, since you've seen obviously legitimately the Panthers the evolution from the beginning. Like, what do you think of, or even currently what's going on in real time? Any, what's it like <laughs> to see all of that? Well, it's funny because I have been around since the beginning, 1995, that our first quarterback is now our head coach, Frank Reich. So that's a little interesting. And our first head coach, Dom Capers, is an assistant coach on his staff. And now he's like, he's 72 years old. Uh, so it's a little bit different. And now we have this quarterback who just turned 22 and I'm in my fifties, uh, who's like a baby to me because I'm more than twice his age. So back when I started this, I was like the age of the football players and I'm old enough to be their dad. And maybe if you spread it a little bit, their granddaddy, if you, uh, <laughs> if you kind of manipulate it a little bit, but it's just, uh, it's just interesting, like seeing all the comings and goings and the excitement of like each coaching regime that comes and each new draft pick, like last year. So everyone was so excited about Baker Mayfield for like a minute. Uh, and before that, Sam Darnold and uh, Chris Cam Newton was, uh, had great popularity and went to a Super Bowl and won MVP. So sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't work out. I've seen kind of like the, the hope of the fans kind of go up and down. As you said, you're kind of like my Cleveland experience. Cause obviously I've experienced all the Panther games is like, I feel like the fans have kind of earned their stripes, if you will, about uh, going through the rough times and having those two Super Bowl appearance seasons, not quite winning at all. But uh, I certainly can uh, commiserate with them because I've been there the whole ride and we want them to win just like the fans do. What's your kind of like two cents of currently going going on 
just I record in advance, everyone. But Monday night, we were on Monday night football. Um, and that was hard to watch. Yeah, I think it's going to be, um, I guess the key word for everyone is going to be just to pump the brakes and be patient uh, just a little bit. I know it's hard to do because when your team hasn't won for a couple years in a row and you have this hope of this, uh, you know, this shiny new toy, Bryce Young, uh, coming in out of Alabama. But I, I think he will be good. I think he's shown that he can be good. It's just he needs the reps. He needs the games and the time. And you hope they win games while he's learning. I think they will certainly, but um, it's going to take a little bit. And this is like a bigger kind of a time investment, I think, as opposed to just bringing in a veteran guy, like making a trade or bringing in a free agent. You're, he's, he truly is you know, 22 years old and he's got up and down days. But I think big picture, like over the next couple of years, you know, he's, you're going to see that he was a, a good choice and will be a good quarterback in this league. Uh, but everyone wants to microwave it. I think we just got to kind of bake it in the oven. It's going to take a little bit longer than people want. But uh, I, I don't think it all happened this year because of even the players around him. You know, we used to have Christian McCaffrey. We used to have DJ Moore. If we had that now with him, then I think we could be more explosive and more exciting to watch. But they gave up a lot of those assets uh, to be able to get to where they were with, with drafting him. Obviously, DJ Moore directly was traded to Chicago. So I think we just have to give it time and realize it's going to take you know more than one year to get to where they're really good. I mean, they might still win enough to even make the playoffs this year. It's a long way to go. But I think we do have to be patient overall and just let it uh, kind of take its time. Yeah, that's good advice, even just for myself personally. <laughs> <laughs> just take a breath and just do some like meditation. Come back in a month or two and go, okay, yeah, play this in a month or two. Maybe we'll be we'll be on a winning streak by then. Right. Well, again, I always like to ask like favorites, but do you have like a, or an amazing season you feel like off the top of your head that was just like such an exciting moment in time that you really enjoyed being connected with the Panthers? I mean, for me, it's, it's easy because it's the two years we went to the Super Bowl. So uh, Super Bowl 38, Super Bowl 50 seasons, because and they were different because Super Bowl 38 um, was a team that uh, was seven and nine the year before they didn't have a winning record. And Jake DeLome was even the starter the first day. He came off the bench at halftime, and he was just like this magical guy who just had this ability to not always be great, but he would throw two interceptions, but he'd throw three touchdowns, and they would win in the end. And we obviously had uh, great players around like Steve Smith and Masin Muhammad, and um, it just kind of caught fire as the season went on where they went from being just an average team to just going all the way to the Super Bowl and winning – games that were upsets in the playoffs and getting there. So it was complete surprise. And that was fun. Uh, Super Bowl 50 was different in that that team was truly 17 and one heading into the Super Bowl. And they were 15 and one in the regular season. They won their two playoff games and they destroyed Arizona in the national uh, conference uh, championship game, NFC championship game at the uh, bank of America stadium, like 41 to 14 or whatever it was. And um, I mean, they were on a roll they're playing the Denver Broncos and Peyton Manning's in his last season. He's not the guy he was his whole career. And we were such big, heavy favorites. I mean, we were like the team and you just felt like we just showed up. We were going to win somehow and we lose by two touchdowns. And that was deflating and a weird way to add what was a phenomenal season. But how do you get mad about 17 and two about, you know, all the fun we had along the way of getting that far. So uh, those were two of my favorite seasons. And there were some others that were favorites along the way. Everything about the first season in 95 was a lot of work. It was all new, but it was fun because everything we did was brand new in 1995. Um, so that was fun. And they played well. They lost their first five games, but ended up going seven and nine. Um, so that was the beginning of them getting to where they were a good football team. 
So th- there's been some really fun years mixed in. And now this is our 29th season. I can't believe I'm saying that, but 29 years we've been doing this now. It's wild. Yeah, it's always just been, I think I was in second grade when it came about. So it was always just been part of the family, my family in my head. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, this is what I was going to ask. So uh, um, the crux of this sports show is kind of talking to ex-athletes. And I always ask them, do you think the game has changed? So from your vantage point, do you think the game of football has changed? There are um, nuances about it that have changed. I think it's it's mostly the same. Like, the you know, the, the game itself feels similar. It's become, the nuanced part of it is it's become more like a college football in a way because it used to be pro football was like a quarterback would be a big 6'5 guy that would stand in the pocket. I'm generalizing. Uh, but that's how you played pro football. And you would run the ball and you would uh, have a big, strong guy that was back there that could throw and have a big arm. And not really run a lot. And then with guys like Michael Vick and Cam Newton, that began to me to really change the evolution of the game to where it became more collegiate. You know, the, the styles that they were, instead of trying to change college quarterbacks into pro quarterbacks or take college quarterbacks and turn them into wide receivers and defensive backs, they said, well, what if we let these athletic quarterbacks be athletic quarterbacks in pro football? And now that's where Bryce Young exists and, you know, Russell Wilson and so many others. Uh, that's kind of what you want now. And you can still have just regular pocket guys that don't run around a lot but i think the offenses have become a lot more like college and then two i think you know the safety standards i think we've seen you know, with concussions and things like that big picture uh guys retire and their lives can be altered by concussions by surgeries that they played through with their their you know whether it be acl tear or whatever so i think the advances in just safety protocols medical protocols is another one too you know luke keekley was one of the best players we ever had you know, back in the day, he probably would have played 20 years ago through the concussions. Now it's like after you have a couple of concussions, I mean, he made a smart move and he retired after nine seasons in the league because you do not want to do permanent brain damage for the rest of your life. And so I think, you know, not everyone escapes with that kind of healthy reality. But uh, I think that's one of the big advances and changes. It's a little more civilized in that way, I would say. Well, speaking of injuries, any like thoughts on the Aaron Rodgers weirdness of you know first game injury out very shortly yeah that was i'm not a jets fan at all because it's just not one of my teams i have enough teams but i mean your heart goes out to him and to that team that he played four plays (laughs) and the first time he got hit uh he tears his achilles tendon after all those years in green bay and all the hits he took and all that he did all he did was change uniforms and they protected him all through the preseason all these Teams are very careful with their players now to make sure they don't get injured if they can help it in the preseason and in the practices. And then it was just yeah, bizarre that the one time he gets hit right away, he doesn't just fall down. He gets a torn Achilles tendon. So that's it's disappointing for them because the Jets have this good team and they, they traded a lot of assets and draft picks and money to get the one piece they needed. They didn't have the quarterback and they got him and they got you know one of the best four-time MVP. And he gets hurt right away. And he says he'll be back next year. I believe he can. A lot of guys always come back from that injury. So uh, we'll see how effective he is. But I think he'll probably be close to who he is uh, prior to the injury. But uh, that was uh, you know, national TV. Everyone's watching it. Monday Night Football. Uh, just unbelievably bad timing. You wish they could at least gotten uh, you know, somewhere bang for their buck. But uh, it's just a, it's a situation where maybe the best thing is that it happens now is that he'll be ready for the start of next season. 
as opposed to if it happened late in the year, then the whole next season would have been out. If it happened, like, say, midway through the season, he probably wouldn't play, be able to play next year. So could be kind of a somewhat of a silver cloud blessing that uh, he got injured early and that he'll be able to start next season on time, you would think. What's your thoughts? And again, I'm also kind of this person, not all the time, but I'll read a headline and be the person that doesn't read the article. But I read a headline that something about because of the Aaron Rodgers thing, that there was questions about like grass or AstroTurf, like any, is that true? Or is that just a thought? I think, you know, I will say this, uh, the, the Players Association would like all fields to be grass. And I'm sure they have a lot of data that backs up that there is uh, a higher percentage of maybe knee, ankle, lower body injuries that happen on artificial surface versus natural grass. I'll give you an example for Monday Night Football was, you know, the Panthers were playing on Monday Night Football and the Browns and Steelers were playing on Monday Night Football. And almost simultaneously, within a few minutes of each other, Shaq Thompson from the Panthers has his leg broken, lower fibula down at the bottom, almost like his ankle area on the synthetic surface here in Charlotte. And then Nick Chubb, the Browns running back, is playing the Steelers on grass and has one of the most horrific knee injuries I've seen. He came and look at it the way his knee got bent. Uh, so one happened on grass, one happened on turf. The thing about turf, they say, is like your foot can stick and like get planted and not move. Or on grass, it'll give and, and won't be as stuck. Um, but again, you can get hurt on either. These guys are hitting hard and they're big and they're strong and they're fast. So injuries happen in both places. I, I guess you would say there's probably you're lowering some percentage of the overall injuries if everybody played on natural grass. But uh, it's not always possible. I mean, and these synthetic surfaces have come a long way. They're almost like grass, honestly, the way they make them. And the one we have here in Charlotte is actually a, the best quality that you can have. Um, but again, you know, I don't have the stats in front of me, but that's what they claim is is the difference. That's interesting comparison, though. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's just like it's a sport and you're going to there's a high percentage that you're going to get injured, I guess. It is. I mean, you can get hurt doing anything. I've seen football players often um, get hurt in practice running by themselves. They're just running a pass route and nobody is near them. Happened to J.C. Horn, actually, the Panthers cornerback. He pulled his hamstring in Atlanta the first game, and he's going to be out for a couple months, um, and nobody touched him. And, and that happens where a guy breaks his foot or pulls a hamstring or tears an ACL. Uh, the year the Panthers went to the Super Bowl last time, Kelvin Benjamin in training camp was running a pass route towards ACL, just running and turning. And he's like 24 years old. So it wasn't like some guy been playing all those years and, and then just got hurt. So um, obviously the odds increase when somebody's launching themselves at you and hitting you and they weigh a lot and they're, they're fast, but uh, there are things that can happen, whether you're uh, running alone, just making a turn or if um, somebody's tackling you. So it's a, it's a violent game. It really is. And honestly, too, I'm not an athlete, and I mean, I've hurt myself just doing nothing. So it's just <laughs> you got you got podcast injury, like a scratchy throat, something like that. No, just like just being like a doofus, just like banging my you know baby toe into like the side of a piece of furniture. You know, I've never done. I don't know what that is. I've never done that. I've never heard of anyone doing that. Are you the first person to ever do that? May or at least publicly admit it, maybe. <laughs> I do that at least once a week. I also have this weird habit of uh, you probably don't wear pants as often as I do, but my pants pocket will open drawers as I walk around the kitchen or bathroom or just <laughs> walking and just hook on and pull a drawer open. And it's just like, what are the odds that I constantly, my hip is at the exact level of pulling open drawers and I do it with my pants? It's like, am I walking too close around? I mean, what am I doing? 
<laughs> or is like, or is this like a poltergeist thing? Yeah, they be pulled at me. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay, so going back to your time with the Hornets, I have to ask you, like, did you ever observe um, Michael Jordan? Yeah, it was a great era. We back then it was actually uh, him. It was Larry Bird. It was Magic Johnson and all those great players during that time. And it was fun. Um, so back then, for those who live in the Charlotte area, of course, it was the Coliseum out on Tybola Road. And it was really big by basketball standards. It was 23,000 seats. The one they have uptown now, it was like, I think, 14,000, 13,000 seats. So almost not twice as big, but like, you know, 40% bigger than what we have now. And it sold out every single night for year after year. They set the attendance record and it was full. I mean, it was real and it was loud. You talk about atmosphere and crowd. Because we didn't have the Panthers yet. It was the first pro, like, major league sports team in the Carolinas. And they were a fun team. They just put together this great group of guys the first couple of years. And we ended up with Larry Johnson and Alonzo Mourning and Muggsy Bogues and, you know, Kurt Rambis and Del Curry. Uh, so most people know some, if not all, of those names. And it was just a really good combination of guys. And most years, uh, the first year, they were not good because it was their first year. Uh, but after the second year, I mean, they got to where they were a consistent, you know, playoff team. Uh, which they've not been in recent history, which is weird. Now that Michael Jordan owned the team all those years, he just sold it, obviously, a couple months ago. Mm -hmm. uh, they just have not been a team that contends for anything. So they were really good. The fans were totally into it. It was a huge arena, and it was selling out all the time. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a big deal. Like uh, To go to a Hornets game was, you know, like the news the next day was, what did the Hornets do the night before? Because you have 82 games. So it's like almost... You know, three nights a week, four nights a week, there's a game going on. So it really was a big part of the community then more than it is probably now. So much. Fun fact, I did have um, a poster on my wall as a youth, like to see if I was taller than Muggsy Bogues. So that was always like a fun <laughs> memory that I have stored in my head. But yeah, there was something just I don't I mean, just the magic or the vibe just obviously is just not the same. But, you know, yeah. I've only met you in person one time. Are you now taller than Muggsy Bogues? Like, I didn't have the uh, this measurement <laughs> no, I of the poster in a while. compare. <laughs> we might be the same height. Is it close? Oh, my gosh. No, that was, yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah, that was just, and obviously, like I said, I was a youth and obviously wasn't able to go to the, all the games. But just, it was just, um, I don't know, not to sound corny, it was just kind of like magical, like a magical period here in town. But mm -hmm. um, Okay, so also, too, like, you are an instructor of the sports broadcasting genre and is there anything that like i'm obsessed with generations is there anything interesting that you see with the kids that are now in school or what they're asking yeah and that's a great question um and, you know classes are you know when you teach uh, broadcasting like sports broadcasting i'm going to do a class at high point university this spring starting in january um and it's just the high point's got a great program you can major in sports broadcasting not like just journalism or uh, anything like that broad. It could be as minutia as sports broadcasting. And I'm literally teaching a play-by-play -play class starting in January. It's a practicum. And you know, you'll get a class like that, and you'll have 20-whatever kids. And in there, it's always a mix of – it doesn't matter. I've done classes at Queens and at the broadcasting schools in Charlotte. You'll always have this mix of kids that are – some are into broadcasting, some are into more of the behind-the-scenes stuff, some are into the profession but not what you do. And then you have that core group that like, they want to be you, like they want it, your job and they want to know everything about it. So I have to balance, you know, teaching a class to kids that are hyper into it. And this is what they want to do for the next 50 years. 
to someone who's in there taking an elective because they thought it looked like fun and they don't want to take something that's going to hurt their brain. Uh, so I try to like balance it to make it, you know, interesting for everybody and fun. I think, you know, if nothing else, I think, you know, like what we're doing now even is uh, it's just fun. It's not like we're at the mill or, you know, in the mines bringing out coal. So it's uh, it should be fun to some degree for everybody. But I get that not everyone's a sports fan and not everyone is a broadcasting fan. So I try to make it relatable for them. Um, so that's it's hard to generalize like what their reaction is to that because they all have their own different angle that they're coming at that classroom. But by and large, it's been good. And I usually start my classes by what you and I just did talk about Aaron Rodgers. We'll talk about what's in the news that week or whatever, what they're kind of talking about just to get them engaged and talk. So I'm not talking about back when I did sports in the eighties, you know, I, I want them and when ESPN started, uh, I want them to feel like, you know, we're doing something current and, you know, practical and things they can go apply for a job in the next year or two and they'll make sense. Um, I didn't really have that in college. We had old newspaper guys teaching broadcasting classes and the, and, you know, as you can imagine, you know, it's not newspaper like there used to be, but journalism used to be very who, what, when, where, why, and paragraphs and sentences and periods and, you know, everything mattered with spelling. And now it's like you just text a tweet of some sort and that's good enough. That's journalism now. And you can take a selfie of yourself and put it on there. So there's, there's a whole, you know, talking about something that's changed, you know, football hasn't changed so much, but journalism is a 180. Like we were always told you are not the story. You are to relay the story. You're not to have an opinion. You're not to be a part of the story. Punctuation matters. If you if you got the name wrong or spelled something wrong, it was an F. Big deal. Didn't matter because if you didn't get the if you didn't get the big facts right, it didn't matter. Now you could be like you know work at ESPN, work at CNN, work Fox News, and you could have a you know blunder, and it's like it's forgotten in five minutes. But back then, it was more critical to be exactly right with everything. So the standards are a lot looser now, and you can get away with less fact and more innuendo and rumor and in fact that's kind of what they want they want people getting clicks is more about you know what might happen if the panthers made a trade or what if this politician did that as opposed to it actually happening so it's it's changed a lot yeah it's it's sad just because yeah i'm just obsessed with the whole tree of journalism i guess media whatever communications um but even too like i enjoy long yeah like i just I enjoyed the newspaper and even too, sometimes I'll click on articles and it's like, it's just question and answering. Like, it's like the question printed out with yeah. the, so yeah, but I guess I haven't even really thought of it, that it is just totally, completely different. But Yeah, it is. It's all ads now too. Like you, everyone, all the newspapers have gone digital and it's like, I think the hardest place to navigate is always a paywall or you just get inundated with five pop-up ads. It's like to read a story, is like, you know, like, I don't know, swimming through the ocean trying to reach the other side <laughs> to get somewhere. It's like at some point I just give up on even trying to read articles because I can't. Uh, they just make it so difficult and challenging. It's true. It's true. Can you imagine like one? I just have like one tear. <laughs> this one, I'm so sad about it. But um, OK, uh, so I am on a time clock. Unfortunately, Zoom does this. So before I get to oh. like my last couple questions, they'll cut me off at. 10 after, but do you, I always ask um, my guests, do you want to give a shout out to social media or your website or where people can find you obviously on the radio or anything? Yeah, I can. I'm not a big uh, like variety of social media. I still call it Twitter. That's how old I am. I don't remember this called X, but the Twitter X is what I'm on. It's my name, which nobody can spell. It's at Jim Zoki. So J I M S Z O K E is my X Twitter. 
uh, at Jim Zoki. I have a LinkedIn and I use that to connect with people that are not on my Twitter, but uh, from the business world. I don't know why I have a LinkedIn. I'm not really very businessy, but I have one. And then um, I did do, I did this honestly, and this will help you career people out there. I did my own website just on the Wix, W-I-X uh, site. And on there, um, if you're interested, it's got my bio, it's got my stories. Um, I've got audio clips of things I've done, video clips of things I've done, photos from the last 30 whatever years of broadcasting with famous people and stuff like that. So it's kind of what I use as like a job portfolio. Um, so if somebody wants, if I'm applying for a job like East Carolina, I got that, I go, here's, go to my audio clips. You can listen to this. Or if I'm applying for a TV job, here's a few video clips of me doing TV work. And my resume's on there. And uh, and then, you know, here's photos of me with famous athletes or whatever. Um, so I can kind of send that and go, you know, click on this, this, and that, and, and this will work for you. Um, but I also use it as a teaching tool because, you know, the kids sometimes want to know who's talking to them. And I'll bring it, I'll talk to high schools and middle schools even. And so I'll bring my website up on the screen and I'll just talk about what I do. But then I can play a clip or I can show a video and um, or show them pictures of me with famous people and they it's more real to them that way so that is just jimzoki.com is what that is and it's just again my name j-i-m-s-z-o-k-e.com uh, i was very lucky to get that domain i no one else had that um so i was able to make that but if you want to see more of my work and have like this guy's fake and i don't believe he actually works um you can look and see some work that i've done not a lot some that is so funny but that is smart to just have it all in one combined place essentially Back in the day, I mean, I feel 100 years old, you have to send out like an audio cassette or a CD and your paper resume. It's like so much easier just to attach, you know, uh, your PDF of your resume and a, a link to your website. And it takes five seconds. So it's, it's so much easier to apply for jobs to get those jobs out there. That's right. That's right. Well, I always like to end on like a funky note and not that I haven't been funky so far, but I'm obsessed with the unexplained and was wondering if you had ever seen a ghost or maybe a ufo no pressure but i always ask i see one about once a week um so it's not that special to me you just they follow me it's so weird i mean i'm just minding my own business like oh stop it uh, i'll tell you the weirdest thing i do have my here's my actually, i don't know it's funny you brought this up this was a topic um about a week ago on our wbt morning show and it really was have you ever felt like you had someone from your past, a family member, try to reach out to you and not like scary or anything like yeah. that or whatever. And, and mine was actually a, the most unexplainable one was a couple of years ago. My wife and I are standing in our bedroom. We're talking. It's a sunny Saturday afternoon and we hear this crash noise in the other room. And my wife had been really sad for a few months. Her grandmother had passed away. She was really, really close with her grandmother, lived with her for a year. Um, and she lived to be 94, but she passed away and she was really grieving her at that time because it wasn't that far removed. Mm -hmm. And this crash happens in the other room while she's talking about that. We stopped talking about that. We walk in their room and we have these two crystal bunnies that were like bookends, except they're not used as bookends. They're meant to be, but they're just sitting on a shelf, I mean, safely in the middle of a shelf, not holding up or supporting anything. And one of the two, I'm not exaggerating, just picture like a standard size living room was nearly halfway across the room on the floor. Big, heavy, crystal bunny rabbit. And it just felt like, because of what we were talking about in that moment, that just felt like there was no reasonable explanation as to why a bunny rabbit crystal thing that heavy would fly across the room when it wasn't supporting anything. It didn't just fall to the ground. It was way across. 
and nobody else was in the house. So that's the closest I had. So it wasn't like scary or eerie. She took that as a great sign, but that was probably the closest thing that I remember anyway about being, I have no explanation for that one. Very cool. I love, I love, I don't know. I just, I love those kinds of stories. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure you've told you before, so probably repetitive if you told me, but I'm sure you got some really good ones too, but it's just, uh, that was one. I probably others, but I forget stuff. I'll, I'll think of it later, like two seconds after we hang up. <laughs> no, that's fine. Like I said, I mean, some people literally just, they're like, I have, I've, I have nothing to, I have nothing to share. So I love that. But I do. I have- actually did. I just made that whole story up. That never happened. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> April Fool's. I had so much detail in it. What, did you believe that story? No, that actually happened. That was real. <laughs> oh, I love that. Thanks for thanks for sharing. Well, I still have um, a few more minutes, and since I am like Charlotte focused, and obviously you've been here for a long time, what do you think of all the growth? It's uh, I've, yeah, I've been here since eighty um, eight, nineteen eighty eight. So it's I remember when downtown was like a ghost town. There were a couple of big bank buildings, but there was nothing to do downtown. Nobody lived downtown. If you went after work, like at six o'clock, you could just drive right through like nobody's business. There was nobody there. It was kind of weird because I grew up near Cleveland and it was, you know, people make fun of it. But it's a big, vibrant city and it's, there's a lot going on. There's lots of restaurants and bars and social life up there. Uh, and I felt like Charlotte, like, what do y'all do? And I moved to this place and it's just like going, what do you, what do y'all do for fun? Because there were no Hornets, there was no sports here, honestly. You had minor league baseball and all that. So the growth of just the interest of pro sports here, first of all, industry here, and just people like me moving here. I mean, probably the as, as, as amazing as uptown changing has looked, South End. I mean, South End was just a couple of roads. I mean, it was just like there was nothing like businesses. There was nothing there. South End has become the, its own city, and mm-hmm. Noda is becoming that way. So. I'm not anti against that. It's just shocking. Like, uh, um, I'm pretty much around town everywhere. So I don't like, oh my God, I can't believe that that's changed that much. So I kind of see it while it's happening in real time. Uh, but as you kind of think back to like a couple of years ago, those areas, those neighborhoods, uh, Plaza Midwood, it was like, wow, what a change. So it's become so much more interesting, I think, in a lot of ways. No, yeah, I, I agree. It's kind of like, I don't know. It's kind of like a fever dream a little bit. It's like, whoa, you know, I mean, just like, just exactly what you were saying. Just, I don't know. It's, I haven't, that's why I love to ask it. Cause I don't, I love it, but I also don't know what to think about it. But we lived in Ballantyne for years and years and we moved out of there. And I, I know that they, they would say it's got good schools, you know, Fort Mill, they got good schools. So about outside of that, like Audrey Kelly didn't even exist. My kids went to Audrey Kelly didn't even exist when we moved to Valentine. So yeah, they had some good schools, but not that many. It's like I never understood the big lure of that space of land of Valentine. Like, why is that so popular? Because I lived there for 15 years. I didn't hate it, but all it is is every chain restaurant you've ever heard of, and a couple did now build a cool thing at the hotel, obviously, with the amphitheater and all that, but that just happened yesterday. Mm-hmm. I never understood, like, it's fine, but it just seemed like so standard suburbia to me. I didn't understand what the, why they had to claim every piece of land to, to be there, but good for us. Go Ballantine. Yeah, woo, woo. No, and for people that are not from the area, yeah, I guess people do act like Ballantine is like Beverly Hills or something, maybe. Is that, you know, right? It's just like, and yeah, and you get there and you're just like, okay, there's three Chick-fil-A's. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, there's like nine Harris Teeters and a Marshall's Home Goods, but I mean, it's like, it's, they're, they're nice, they're like the nicest Harris Teeters. Right. And there's a, you can definitely golf over there, but it's funny. Yeah. 
All right. Well, Jim, that's it. What did you think? I hope you had fun. I had fun. Um, I, I love that your earrings match your ceiling, like yes. little CD players. So yes, you're definitely fun. your favorite shape of circles. I actually own that applause sign you have. I have that applause sign. I actually own that sign. Really? Yeah. You should light it up and then people will clap. Well, I've tried to a couple of times, but just like the lighting, it just, it's just, you can't really read it, but I, I, yeah, but you know, I'll keep, like I said, it's not like I have like a director or anything here. I can mess with it if I want, but I should turn it back on. It's a, it's a one person show. Yeah. Well, I'll clap for you. Good job. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Thank you so much. This is Field Day with Katie Black. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.